I want you to turn to the book of Luke. These next few weeks, uh, newsflash, Christmas is right around the corner. And as we're going through and uh, these next few weeks, they're going to be busy weeks. They've already been busy weeks. We've had Sunday school parties already. We have others coming on. And we have, of course, next Sunday night. You do not want to miss next Sunday night. Our choir's worked hard, and it's going to, it's, I'm excited about uh, uh, what uh, we're going to have in store for us. So you be sure, invite someone, bring someone uh, with you. Uh, but uh, it's a busy, busy time, is it not? And so as we're going up to, and remember, Christmas Eve is on a Sunday this year. So we're going to have Christmas Eve services uh, here, and I'm excited about that as well. But in leading up to this, and I know we've been going through the book of Hebrews, but I just felt led that we just need to look at uh, what this time is really all about. And so we find ourselves in Luke chapter 1, and I want you to look at verse number 31. If you had to put a title on this evening's message, it would be, There is a Name. There is a name. Now, I'm not going to sing it because I love you too much to make you suffer through that. But there's a song. There is a name I love to hear. The sweetest name on earth. It's like music into my ears. And then he goes and says, Oh, how I love Jesus. There is a name above all names. And his name is Jesus. And so we find ourselves in Luke chapter 1, verse number 31. Listen to what the Word says. Now we're going to be looking at verses 26 through verse number 38. But this is the verse that we're going to kind of hang our hat on this evening. The Bible says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. There's just something about the name of Jesus. And so, by God's grace, these next few moments, we're going to look at there is a name. Now, three things we're going to see. That name declares his identity. But we also see that name declares his poverty. But we're also going to see that his name declares his glory. And so tonight, we're going to look at there is a name. I thought about that. And uh, of course, uh, names are back in the time uh, of our Lord. Uh, There was a lot of meaning to that. And there still are a lot of meanings to that. But usually when you look, especially in the Old Testament days, uh, and then also in the days of Jesus, uh, going into the New Testament, uh, that uh, usually a name uh, showed some identity to that person, a characteristic of that person. Names were very meaningful. Your name is very meaningful to you. Our children like to be called by their names. Now, we have a grandson, and of course, his name is Ezekiel. We have Ezra, and we have Elijah. I had nothing to do with naming those children. But I was quite pleased that they told me this is what we're going to name our our children because those names mean something. When you study the scriptures and every time we go and I tell them about my grandchildren, they said, oh, those are good Bible names. And then that gives me an opportunity. Yeah, but do you know what those names mean? 
See, names mean something, but I'm telling you, there's none name uh, higher. There is not a name that is sweeter. There is name no more glorious than the name of Jesus. So we're going to look at, there is a name. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power contained in your word. Lord, I ask by your grace that you would help me to preach your message Lord, I ask that to you help me to understand that this is not a time for Mike's opinions on things. This is not a time for Mike to just go ahead and have dialogue and have a little talk. But this is a time to preach your word, to preach your message. And Lord, I pray for that one that maybe has slipped in. Lord, I pray that you'll just grip their attention. But Lord, not only their attention, but you grip their heart. And help them to realize there's only one name unto salvation, the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray tonight that they will call out on your name. They will call you out by faith. But Lord, there's others that are here that already know your name. They have a relationship with you. So maybe tonight is just a time for us to be reminded of what Christmas is really all about. Maybe it's a time for us... Lord, uh, to just say thank you for what you have done for us. I pray it will be an encouraging time, but I also pray it will be a convicting time. And as we go to the invitation, you will be pleased by the response. We pray all of this in the lovely name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. And so the first thing that we see, we see that the name Jesus declares his identity. If you go, just to turn to verse number 32. Verse number 2, you're still in chapter number 1. We see that it said that he will be called the son of the highest. Another translation, you could say that he was the son of of God. See, the name of Jesus, we recognize, is that he was a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14. You all know that. It's a prophecy. And it says, in that uh, uh, instance there, it says that he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. See, when you make the mention of Jesus, that name declares his identity. He is not only the Son of God, but he is God. The Bible says he was the God-man. He was all deity. He was all humanity. And I want you to know no one else can lay claim to that name of Jesus. He is the Son of God. He's the God of the highest. But also notice in that verse, it says something about a throne. Now we all understand that a throne, uh, that that was reserved for a king. When you mention the name of Jesus, you're also calling him not only the Son of God or God with us, you're also calling him King Jesus. And he's not like any other king. Matter of fact, we see it in Scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 
that uh, Nathan is talking to David. Of course, David, we understand, was King David. But uh, Nathan talks to David, and he talks to him about a king that's to come. Now, of course, we know that he was not talking about David because when David died, his kingship died with him. When David died, he no longer had a kingdom. But we also see that you study the course of history in Israel that there was kings that came and went. And when that king uh, died or was removed, whatever the case may be, that meant that his kingship, that his kingdom ceased as well. But I'm telling you, when you make the name of Jesus, his kingdom is still active and alive and well and forevermore. When Nathan was talking to David, he said uh, that there was one who was going to come, that his kingdom will last forever. Only Jesus can lay claim to the fact that he's still sitting on the throne today and he's also understand that his kingship will never cease because he's eternal God. His kingdom is internal and when you make the name of Jesus, we can say he's King Jesus but he's not like any other king that you've ever seen before and there will not be a king after him. He's the only one that rightfully belongs where he belongs tonight and he's at the throne interceding for us tonight. See, when you make the mention of Jesus, Jesus identifies who he is. But then it doesn't stop there. We see in verse number 33 that prophecy will be fulfilled. Notice, he talks about the house of Jacob. We've seen that phrase, he's the God of Jacob. Well, what does that mean? Well, you've got to go back to Jacob. And we see in Genesis chapter 49, verse number 10, uh, that Jacob is talking to his son Judah. And he's talking to him. Now you say, well, do you think he knew what he was talking about? I really don't know. But we see that he was given a prophecy to Judah. When you look at Genesis chapter 49, verse number 10, listen to what he says. I'm paraphrasing here, but he's talking about there is going to be one who will have a scepter. Now, that scepter, that uh, interchanging that word, or another translation is rule. He's talking about a ruler. He's talking about a king. But then he goes on and he uses the word shallow. When shallow comes, interesting word. The word shallow means he whom it is. Whom it is. Nathan, uh, uh, Jacob, was talking to Judah and he was talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who it is. But notice also something interesting in that verse. He says, and he will gather his people. The word gather in the Hebrew means to cleanse. See, he's talking about Jesus here. Even back in Genesis, it was pointing to Jesus. See, when you made the name of Jesus, you see that the fulfillment of prophecy is in him. See, he has the only one that can gather his people. Now understand, we all have some similarities. 
Some of us have the same education uh, levels. Some of us, same uh, income levels. Some of us live in the same part of time. There are some similarities to us. But my dear friend, let's just be honest with one another. We understand that none of us can get us together. That's the reason why we have problems in our nation today. We can't get our people together. Why? Because we're trying to get them together politically. We're trying to get them together economically. There's all kinds of reasons why we're not able to gather our people. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can bring us together tonight because even though we have some similarities, we also have some differences about us. But what's brought us together here is a body of Christ is because of what Jesus Christ did for us. He's the only king that can cleanse He has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. See, we're all part of the family, not because of our backgrounds, not because of where we live, not because of what we do for a living, not because of our education. The only thing that's brought us together tonight is that we have this one thing in common. We've all been cleansed by the Lamb of God and He has uh, removed our sins. He's forgiven us of our sins and that's why we can come together tonight because we serve a king of kings and lord of lords that can cleanse his people from their sin. John the Baptist said it this way, behold the lamb that take away the sins of the world. I don't know about you but I'm kind of excited that I can call upon the name of Jesus and when I call upon the name of Jesus that helps declare his identity and his identity is that he is king of kings oh but it doesn't stop there we also see that it declares his poverty if you look at verses 26 through 28 it introduces his earthly family it talks about Joseph it talks about Mary now we all understand that Jesus was born in a manger he came from a humble beginning his family were just ordinary folk But the Bible tells us that even though, earthly speaking, he came from poverty or he came in humbleness, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse number 9 says it this way, that he which was rich because of us became poor because those of us who were poor could become rich. Now that's a pretty good deal right there. See, Jesus, even though he had a humbled beginning, we understand he'll have a victorious kingdom that he will rule forever and forever and forever. And we're all a part of that. When I started thinking about the poverty of our Lord Jesus, I couldn't help but think that, remember the story, they were going and they were talking about paying tribute or paying taxes And Jesus says, well, I'll tell you what you do. You go ahead and go fishing. And the first catch that you make, you'll see that there will be a coin in that fish's mouth. Then he goes on and instructs them, you go ahead and take that coin and you take it to Jerusalem and you pay my tax for me and your tax as well. Now, I don't know if that would work for the IRS today. When your taxes are due, you'll say, hey, why don't you all just go fishing? 
Some of you have probably talked to the IRS, but that's not what you tell them to, told them to go. You told them to go somewhere else. <laughs> but that's another story from another day. But Jesus, when he came, he, he, uh, he paid his taxes uh, by the mouth of a fish. But we also see that he borrowed a boat. We see that in Luke chapter 5. He borrowed a boat in order for him to preach. But then we also see uh, that he not only borrowed a boat, but he also borrowed a room so that he could observe Passover. But then we see that he also borrowed a donkey. Now there's a whole lot we can say about the donkey. But he borrowed that donkey. Matter of fact, this donkey had not been tamed. After Jesus got finished with them and told them to take them back, he was a far different donkey. He was tamed. What a wonderful picture of us. Now, some of you are still acting like donkeys, and that's not what we're getting at here. But at one time, we were untamable. Oh, we turned over a new leaf and we tried to do better. But it didn't work. Why? Because we did it in the flesh. But when Jesus came into your heart and came into your lives, He tamed you. And you were never the same again. And so He see that He borrowed a donkey. But then we see not only did He borrow a donkey, uh, but He also borrowed a room to observe Passover. We've talked about that. But He also borrowed a cross. See, the cross that He was hung on had been occupied. But they said, let Him go free. Jesus borrowed a cross. And because He borrowed that cross, He died on that cross Not because he was guilty, oh, far different than that. Matter of fact, he was sinless. But the reason why he died on that borrowed cross, so that you could go free. Because you could have forgiveness of your sins. I don't know about you, but that ought to give you a little shout and put a little pep in your step to realize you're the one that should have died on the cross, but Jesus took your place instead. Praise the name of Jesus. So he was on a borrowed tomb, but all the story doesn't stop there. We see not only did he borrow a cross, but he also borrowed a tomb. Now we understand that he borrowed that tomb is because he was just going to need it for three days. (laughs) Because the Bible says in that borrowed tomb on the third day he rose in victory. And the Bible says that same Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that can work in your life. And my dear friend, you need to understand, I need to understand, all of us, if we've trusted Jesus Christ is our personal Lord and Savior, we've all been raised from the dead. Because the Bible says we were dead in our trespasses. But thanks be unto God, because of what He did on Calvary, and because He got up from the grave, we can have victory in Jesus tonight. And so we see that He was... Uh, a, a lot of things can go on when we talk about the poverty, but I want you to look at the third thing. 
We see that he was the, the, his name declares his ministry. Now the name Jesus, the name means Jehovah is salvation. That's what the name means. I started thinking about that. And I thought, you know, Jesus, he didn't come to be a teacher, even though he taught like no man had taught before. He was the master teacher. We understand when you look at the teachings of Jesus that these teachings were radical. They were revolutionary. There was something they had never heard before. And my dear friend, we have not heard them like that again because Jesus was the master teacher. But that's not why he came to teach. We also understand he was a healer. The Bible is quite full of stories of where he healed those who could not walk. He healed those who could not see. He healed those uh, that were not capable of helping themselves. And thanks be to God, he's still a healer today. I believe with all my heart, Jesus is still in the healing business. Now, Brother Mike, what do you mean by healing? I mean whole healing. I'm not talking just about physical healing, but I'm talking about spiritual healing. I'm talking about emotional healing. I'm telling you, Jesus is still healing today, but that's not why he came. Jesus also raised the dead, but that's not why he came. We see stories of where he raised those who were dead. I'm, I'm saying they were dead. As the old fellow said, they were as dead as four o'clock. They were dead. They were not breathing, no brain activity. They were dead. And all he had to do was speak or to touch and they would be raised from the dead. I'm telling you, well, he's not doing that today. Oh, yes, he is. We've already alluded to it. If you're here tonight, you have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you were dead at one time. We were walking dead people. And I'm not talking about the walking dead and I'm not talking about zombies. I'm talking spiritually speaking. Every one of us was dead. We would read the Bible and we'd say cute stories, interesting stories, but that's all they were to us. They were stories. Then we would read it and say, well, I don't quite understand how all that took place. And we, and, and, but then, then, when Jesus came into your life and when Jesus saved you, those same stories mean a whole lot more to you now. And now you're understanding the Word of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, one of the uh, aspects of the Holy Spirit is that He teaches us. And so now you open the Word of God and the Word of God just comes alive and it just jumps out of it. And one time it was black and white, now it's color. I mean, living color. You see, and you're saying, oh, I read this story many times. Now I understand why. Because at one time you were spiritually dead, but the Bible said He quickened you, He made you alive. But that's not the reason why He came to raise the dead. We also see that He came and He performed many miracles. By the way, he's still doing miracles today. There are miracles all in these pews here this evening. Or Brother Mike, what do you mean? Now, I'm not necessarily talking about physical. Even though we have some in our fellowship that they had a physical miracle. The doctors said, don't know what else to do. The great physician said, I know exactly what to do. 
Some of you can testify to that. I'm not necessarily talking about that, but I am talking about it spiritually. We're miracles. Because the Bible says that we were sinners by nature and by choice. Our whole nature had to be changed. Only a miracle of a God can accomplish that. Now, I'll have nothing against 12-step programs unless they're going and doing weird stuff like your higher power can be the group or your higher power can be the doorknob and all that other foolishness. I understand the 12-step program and when it was original. Uh, it was uh, biblically based. I understand that I have nothing against 12-step programs. I have nothing against counseling. But my dear friend, I'm telling you, Jesus can radically change you. And only Jesus can radically change you. See, that's the reason why our uh, penal system is in a mess. They're thinking they can rehabilitate. Now, I understand what they're trying to do. I have nothing against education and all of that. But my dear friend, here's the problem. That only changes the outward. But when Jesus changed you, he changes from the inward. And so even though he came and he performed miracles, that's not why he came. The Bible says, in his name, Jehovah is salvation. In John chapter 10, verse number 11, Jesus says it this way. He says, I'm the good shepherd and I give my life for my sheep. See, if you're saved tonight, you're a sheep. Now, we understand the characteristics of a sheep, and we all meet that criteria, do we not? Sheep, if you know anything about sheep, are not the smartest animal in the world. Some of us have done some dumb things. Sheep have a tendency to wonder. It could be that maybe you're one of them tonight. You're a sheep. You know, you're saved, you're securing your salvation, but you've wandered off a little bit. And Jesus says, and we sang it as well, is that the 99 he was good with, but he said, I can leave the 99 because I have one that's lost. Aren't you glad that he went after you when you were lost? Aren't you glad he went after you when you started to wander away? And so Jesus says, I've come for this purpose. In John 3.16, our children know this well. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus said this way. Jesus says, I've come to give life, eternal life, and I've come to give abundant life. See, the purpose for Jesus coming was not because he was going to be a great teacher, even though he was. He didn't come so he could perform miracles, even though he did. He didn't come to raise dead, even though he did. He came to save us. He came to save us from our sin. And so the Bible says, He left the portals of heaven... 
And in John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the sole purpose for Him coming was to see that you would have access and to provide you a gift, the gift of salvation, so that you would not die and go to hell. And by the fact, that is the, po- that is the sole purpose of this church. The sole purpose is to reach out to a lost and dying world. Our sole purpose here, and we, we have other, I say, well, Brother Mike, wait, 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 hey, I'm getting there. But I'm talking about the prayer. Why do we exist? Why do we exist? So lost people can come to know Jesus. Amen. Now, I understand we are also supposed to edify the, but I found this out. When you start seeing people saved, edifying means to encourage. I don't know about you, but I get kind of encouraged when I see somebody come down that I knew was destined and doomed for hell, but now they've been set free. That ought to excite us. And so here's the problem. The problem is we want to jump into the encouragement, and we all need encouragement. But my dear friend, I'm telling you, the best way to encourage a lost person is to introduce them to Jesus Christ. And the best way to encourage a believer is to see somebody that does not know Jesus Christ come to know Jesus Christ. And so, he's, Jesus, His name declares His poverty. He became poor because we could come and to be rich. Rich in His blessings. Rich in what He has in store for us. But then there's a last thing. And the last thing is that He has come uh, and because of His name, His name declares His glory. Now notice, many people said this about Jesus. Some said He was a troublemaker. Some said He was a radical. He was a rebel. Matter of fact, that's the reason why they came after him. Matter of fact, when, what really got him in trouble when he said, me and my father are one. That in, oh man, oh that got him good. Those, those Jews were like, oh we got to get rid of somebody like that. He's nothing but a rebel. The Roman government wanted to get rid of him because he was stirring up too much stuff. So the next time, and I know it's been said, The next time somebody says, y'all just keep things stirred up. Say, you know what? You're right, and that's what got Jesus. (laughs) I don't know about you, but maybe, maybe we haven't stirred things up enough. I'm not saying going out there and be arrogant and, and all that. I'm saying we ought to do some stirring. We ought to show somebody that knowing Jesus means something and that when you're a believer that it changes you and they ought to see something changing us. Our pastor did a wonderful job this morning talking about when they're really taking notice is when you're going through trials and tribulations and when you're able to understand and tell them, hey, I don't know how you're getting through this. Say, I'll tell you how I'm getting it. Because of the grace of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he receives all glory. The verse in verse number two, it says that he will reign. Now, some said he was an innocent man, Pontius Pilate. He says, I find no fault in this man. Some said that, uh, well, he's, he's different. And, you know, we don't like people different. There's a lot of things said about the Lord Jesus. But the Bible is quite clear. 
that the name of Jesus declares his glory because he and he alone is worthy to sit on the throne. Now the question for you tonight is this. Is he sitting on the throne of your heart? We can go ahead and say, oh, he's on the throne. He's in charge. I understand. Yeah, yeah. Is he sitting on your throne of your heart? Because you know Jesus in a personal way, does he change your attitude? Say, well, we're not all perfect, Brother Mike. I understand that. But my dear friend, when you got saved, and because we're saved... There shouldn't be a question mark in people's. They shouldn't think, I wonder if that Terry really is saved. Now, I know many of you have already had that question. and There's times when I question it as well. But by his testimony, he's, he's, by his testimony, he said he's saved. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about there ought to see a change in us. Pastor has alluded to this, and I've been thinking about this as well, that we know we want the church to be all things to all people. Mm, Better be careful. Uh, Now the new church movement is saying we need to identify with a lost world. How dumb is that? We ought to be identifying with Jesus because they're looking at every place they got an emptiness they're trying to field. And they're looking for truth. And we have it. But they don't know because of the way we're living. We go to the same places they go. We listen to the same stuff they listen to. We take Sundays off just like they do. Everything takes precedent over what's happening at the church house. And then they're looking around and says, well, now, I'm already doing that, man. We're having advertisements where you can sleep in. Don't worry about Sunday morning. You can sleep in. You can do another service another time. And so here's a lost person thinking, where's the difference? Our churches have now become community centers. I know there's some things that have gone on here and they say, well, I don't know why we don't use it more than we use it. Well, we're using it because if it's not honoring the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not going to have a part in that. And we shouldn't have a part in that. This is His house. This is His house. He's the one that died for this. And and it amazes me how we think we got to do all this because we want to identify. I'm telling you, when we identify with Jesus Christ and when that name really means something to us, they will want to start identifying for what we got. Pastor alluded to that this morning. I'm telling you, the reason why they're not coming is because they're not seeing a difference. We just get up a little earlier than they do on Sunday mornings. But as soon as Monday rolls around, we're right there with them. 
So Jesus here, He deserves His name. Oh, He should declare His glory. My dear friend, I'm telling you, if you don't praise Him and you're not blaming glory to Him, He's still going to get glory. Because the Bible is quite clear. Uh, just go ahead and turn very quickly to Philippians. And I'm closing, I promise. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, you all know this verse. But here what it, here's what it says. It says, there is a name. Right? Is that what it's saying? There is given a name above every name that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess what? He is Lord. I'm telling you, if you're not doing it now the way you're living, you will later on. The lost and dying world, they're not doing it now. They're not bringing glory to name. What they're doing in the name of Jesus now, they're using is a curse word. But I'm telling you, there's coming a day when their knee will bow and they will confess, you're right, you are Lord. You are the King of kings and you're the Lord of lords. At the name of Jesus, there is a name I love to hear. It sounds like music to my ears. The sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. My dear friend, you can say it all you want to. But if your walk is not matching your talk, the lost and dying world does not give a rip what you're telling them. They want to see it.